We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's finish up today, Ryan, with a mailbag. And right now we have a, we have several super chats, and we'll answer those, and we'll just get to a few questions. We're not going to do a lot of questions here, but we're going to just do a little mini mailbag since our prediction show tends to go a little bit shorter than most of our other stuff. And let's let's start off right here, Ryan. We had from AST twelve three two one with the super chat. Thank you so much. Could NC State give Notre Dame more chances to throw downfield by not being as afraid of the deep ball as Tennessee State and Navy were and constantly having defensive backs bailing? I could see that, Ryan, uh, yeah. especially if, if what you said is true of the run game kind of comes out and it's early on. Because here's the, here's the thing for the reason 3-3-5, I've seen a lot of people say, well, you know, this is a 3-3-5 team. Notre Dame should be able to run football on them. And I'm like, well – that's true in theory, which is why I hate the 3-3-5. But this is a really good run-defending 3-3-5. As I've pointed out before, they've been a top 25 run defense each of the last two years. They barely allowed over 100 yards rushing last season. Uh, yeah. and, and and so when when I look at it, Ryan, they're, they're a team that doesn't – and they don't do it by just triggering eight guys all the time. They sure. don't. They do it by triggering their linebackers all the time. If Notre Dame is able to have success early – against their base defensive looks and calls, then that's going to force them because t- the point you made, which is spot on, Ryan, is the kids were placing Drake Thomas and uh, what's the other linebacker's name? Isaiah, Isaiah Moore. Isaiah Moore. Isaiah Moore. Yeah. They, those kids just they're they're good football players. They're young. They're, you know, but they're not those guys, right? And so they're going to need more help on that second level, which I do believe. And there's a lot more faith in their cornerbacks. Because then that we've seen in the past, so and that's partly Ryan why I had my my game ball predictions are to are, are for one of the tight ends, if not the tight end duo, to be the breakout. Because especially when Notre Dame goes twelve personnel, they're going to have a lot of dudes near the line of scrimmage, and so there's going to be some opportunities for Notre Dame to take some shots outside. I would this would be a great game to see Tobias Merriweather get going if Chris Tyree is going to have some some opportunities to make some plays against their linebackers in some different route combinations some post-snap switch stuff that you could see from Notre Dame that could put NC State in some really tough binds with their linebackers and and, and, uh, and safeties and coverage. So I could definitely see that. N- NC State is not going to fear Notre Dame's pass game. 
going into this game. They're going to have to make them respect it, but they're not going to because they're going to look at Notre Dame and say, guys, we can't shut it all down. We what, What's the biggest thing? What's the thing we're most afraid of right now? It's the run game, and we're going to have to shut that down and make them beat us because they're going to have to beat us doing something they haven't shown people, shown that they can do so far. That's a smart way to go about defending Notre Dame right now. Make them beat me with Tobias Merriweather as two catches for five yards. Go for it. Make yep. them beat me with their tight ends who haven't been super pro. Make them beat me with Chris Tyree and Jaden Greathouse and Deion Colsey. They're not going to beat me with Audrick Estime in that offensive line. And so, yeah, I think we're going to see some opportunities, and they're going to have to make plays. That's going to be a big part of it. I really hope so. I mean, to the question, I think that it can happen. I really hope it does happen because if you ask me what's the weakest part of this NC State defense, I would say it's the safety position. I don't yeah. think they're bad football players, but I don't think they're – Tanner Ingle, what they had last year, right? Like they just don't have that type of dude back there. So I think that there's the seat, there's some seam stuff that I think could happen. There's some over stuff that I think could happen that could really force safeties into some bad spots. And honestly, even though Aiden White and Shaheen Battle are an excellent quarter cornerback duo, if there's some pre-snap stuff where Sam Hartman realizes that like he's got man-to-man outside and maybe they're in a little bit of a press situation. I would love a guy like Tobias Merriweather or Deion Colsey or even Jane Thomas in certain scenarios to just get an outside release and try to win a one-on-one matchup yep. because, yes, Aiden White is good. Yes, Shaheen Battle is good. But if Notre Dame is going to be the team that we think they could be this year, you have to be able to beat yes. those types of corners one-on-one, right? When you're going against Clemson, you got to beat Nate Wiggins one-on-one. When you're playing against some of the best teams in college football, if you play – the Georges of the world, if you play the Alabamas of the world, they're going to have good corners, right? And you're going to have to be able to beat that. So, yeah, if you if you figure out that it is man-to-man outside on a play, a little bit of some, some press technique where if I get a good release, I can get a little bit of separation on the outside, and Sam Hartman just gives him a chance, that back shoulder work or just working down the sideline, I would love to see him take a shot. I would love to see it because I think Notre Dame can win those battles. They just yes. haven't. Don't they consistently do it yet at this point? Ryan, if they're unable or unwilling to go at NC State's corners, that's going to be a very bad sign for Notre Dame's ability to consistently beat the best teams on the schedule. Agree. And and you and I have been talking about Aiden White for a few weeks now, and we've talked about Shaheen Battle, and we yeah. like and respect these corners. This isn't a knock on their corners. They're very good. They're one of the three or four best corner tandems they're going to face in the regular season all year. But sure. they're not, to me, Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart. They're not uh, Joey Porter Jr. and Kalen King. They're not. I don't even think that, they're Joey. I don't even think they're Kalen King and Johnny Dixon this year. Like I don't even think yes. they're that. Right? I mean, yeah, yeah. So they're good, but they're if you if you're just if you're it'd be one thing if you're just coming out running it down their throat and you just don't need it again. But at some point in sure. time, you're going to have to get that part of your game going. Yeah. And I I'm with you. I'd like to see them take some of those shots this week. And NC State is going to is going to dare them to do that. And we're going to see if they can have some success. Because at the end of the day, as you said, Ryan, it's going to come down to can those receivers make the plays? That's that's something they got to show. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Football season is upon us, which means my schedule is ramping up even more than normal. And it makes it a lot harder to spend as much time cooking and preparing meals as I want and need. And eating healthy can be especially challenging. That's why I'm looking forward to getting ramped up with Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, which can help me fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to my door. With Factor, you can skip the extra trip to the grocery store and save a lot of time on food prep, but you don't have to miss out on the flavor. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready to go in just two minutes, So all you have to do is heat and enjoy, and then we can get back to work. And you can choose from over 34 weekly flavor-packed, fresh, never-frozen meals. You can level up and get Gourmet Plus options and treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. There are also lunch-to-go options and Protein Plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. And you can round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of over 45 add-ons including breakfast items like the delicious apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, and more. You can also try refreshing beverage options like cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. This September, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. And they have a great deal for Irish Breakdown listeners. Head to factor.com irish50 and use code irish50 to get 50% off. That's code Irish50 at factormeals.com forward slash Irish50 to get 50% off. Try it and enjoy. Brian Chesinick, thank you so much for the super chat. Appreciate it, Brian. Brian, glad to hear you are coming to the city of Oaks. Let me know if you need food recommendations near NC State. Go Irish. Yeah, man, hit me up. I'm always looking for some good barbecue places. And, and as long as they're not the traditional North Carolina barbecue. Right, because I'm not a big fan vinegar? Of vinegar. Yeah, the vinegar, vinegar based. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, but I, yeah. Hey, man. Either. Any good recommendations? My dad and I'll be getting in town Friday. We'll be leaving Sunday. So yeah, any good food recommendations, man? Let me know. I'd appreciate it. We had another super chat from Brandon Plensner. Thank you so much, Brandon. Who was the offensive coordinator for Virginia when Notre Dame held them and Armstrong to just three points in 2021? How does this NC State offense compare to the Virginia one in 2021? Yeah, they, they didn't hold Armstrong to three points. Armstrong was out that game. He didn't play. It was like, it was like yeah. Wolf Fork or something, Wolf, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Like and, and now look, here's the deal. They, I still think Notre Dame played very well against their receivers that game. And what's interesting is they actually had – I believe they had two guys go for uh, 100 yards against them in 2019. Remember remember that game in 2019? I thought they did a much better job against the receivers in, in 2021. And I know that they didn't have Brendan Armstrong, but I actually thought the, the, the secondary played very well in that game. If you yep. remember, Vince, that, or Vince, Ryan, that was the first game of Ramon Henderson at safety. And oh, he, played, that raging you know, interception. he had that yeah. crazy interception. But look, they held Dontavian Wicks to two catches for 32 yards. 
K2 on Thompson went over 100, but I think a, I mean, a lot of that came in the second half. Uh, Jelani Woods had two catches for 13 yards. Rashawn Henry had one catch for four yards. Billy Kemp had four for 37. I mean, it, yes, they didn't have Brendan Armstrong a quarterback, but they they kept those guys in check as well, in my opinion, when you go back and look at that game, Ryan. So, yeah. I, you know, I, look, I – I um, this is a very different team skill wise. This is you now now in in Brandon asked this question before we we really got deep into the breakdown, right? Sure. And yep. so we did kind of compare it a little bit. Uh, I would say this: I think the offensive line's a little better than that Virginia offensive line, not by a ton, but it's better. I didn't love that Virginia offensive line in twenty twenty one. That was that yep. was one of the things that held them back a little bit. And when they didn't have Armstrong to kind of run around and do some escaping type of stuff, they they definitely weren't as effective then. But the skill isn't as good this year. It's it's just not like Porter Brooks was a highly ranked kid. And he's a quality athlete. They got a couple the Concepcion kids, a, a, a solid football player. Uh, but they're just they just don't have the the weapons, Ryan. That, that the they, Virginia they have the Rice to transfer too, right? Yeah. The tall kid, I forget his name, yeah. but yeah, yeah. But like, to me, Ryan, when I when I look at Virginia, the two times they played Virginia, both times yeah. they played Virginia when Robert and I was there, they had very good receivers, very good receivers, and it was a different guy, both different groups, both times. I mean, completely remade receiving cores both times. In 2019, it was Hassan Dubois. It was um, it was Joe uh, Joe Reed. It was Terrell Jana. It was as Tanner Crawley. The only guy that was really similar was uh, Billy Kemp. That year had 35 catches for 289 yards. Dontavian Wicks that year only had three catches on the season. Right. Bill, and, and, Billy uh, Kemp is still somehow in college football. Somehow I don't know how that. <laughs> no, is. he's not. He's is he yeah, seriously? I, I I think he's on a different team now. I'm pretty okay. sure he's on somebody. But I'm yeah. gonna look that up. That's crazy. Dubois was, was really good that year, though, man. Hassan Dubois was boy. fantastic yeah. that year. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, he's at Nebraska. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm telling you, man. How he is that even possible? This offseason. I don't know. Is he in his seventh year? Has to be. Like, Has to th- be. Ryan, that guy played eight games back in 2018. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what the heck? I, I don't I don't know I don't know how it's a thing, but it is a yeah. I mean, he's played he played yeah. at least seven games. In, in in all five years at Virginia. Yeah. Like I don't see how that's even a thing. Like that's weird. Yeah. I wonder if they did it because of the the shooting last year. If maybe they gave uh, some kids, you maybe. know what I mean? Like if maybe, maybe they gave some of those Virginia kids like, hey, since you missed out on your last game and your bowl game, I wonder if maybe that might yeah. be it. I wonder if that might that, be that's it. Virginia's honoring them this weekend. Yeah. It's like the first home game since that yeah. happened. So yeah. yeah, first, yeah, last week was their first game. Yeah, because they canceled their season yeah. at the end of the year last year. Which I com- normally I'm like when there's like a a tragedy on campus or if there's like a an injury, it's like, you know, hey, you, you honor those people. But that was a whole different. That was a whole yeah. different animal, man. That was a whole different. Yeah. So I completely yeah. understood them. Like th- there's way more important things. There was way more important things to deal with than football. Last year, yeah, at that point, they, time, asked, so. they, they asked Brandon Armstrong about that on on uh, ACC Network as well. Yeah. It's very sad, man. Yeah, sad. absolutely. So, uh, so uh, different, very different team. I will say this though: on the flip side, Ryan, the other thing that's very different. This is a much better defense, much better defense than the one he had in twenty nineteen or twenty twenty one. Oh yeah, at Virginia. I agree. That's the other part. Yeah. I mean that that Virginia team was not. They were not good on defense that year, Ryan. And I'm I'm, I'm I think I'm being kind of nice. If if we're are being they, honest, 
I'm trying to remember who was on that defense. Was that like Joey Blunt and Zane Zandier, yeah. like that, yeah. that defense? Yeah, uh, Noah Taylor was on that, on oh, that Noah defense. <laughs> yeah. Noah Taylor was yeah. quietly on North Carolina last year. No one noticed. Yeah, I know, right? Seriously. <laughs> uh, who was that really good end they had? They had a, or was that 2019? That was 2019. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, 2019, they had a kid. But, yeah, they had um, – uh, where's his, where's he at? Mandy Alonzo was a guy that was coming oh, yeah. off of a pretty good year. I liked He's him coming the into the year. Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah, he, um, he's going to have a much better defense now yep. than he, than he, than he did back then. There's, there's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. Let's get to the next super chat here from Ronnie. Ronnie says, thank you so much, Ronnie. 38, 17 Notre Dame. If they all, if they are what I believe they can and should be, they will dominate and they will score late to get the score slightly closer. Mm. We must be able to run the ball. So Ronnie's saying they're going to score late to make it 38 to 17. NC State's going to score late. I'll, I'll say this, Ronnie. Number one, I have two responses to what you said. Number number one is no team that I have ever seen dominates every single week. They just don't. We talked about this with that 2019 LSU team, right? And I I don't know if you've ever gone on the record on this, but the, to me, that was one of the two or three best teams I've ever seen in my life, along with like, was it, is it 90, 95 Nebraska, right? Like it was a 2001 Miami, right? I mean, it was, it was, was, it was <laughs> crazy good. Oh, four USC. Like it was a, one of the best teams I've ever seen. But even that year, Ryan, there were games where LSU had to kind of battle through and not playing great football. You know, you, you needed a, a four-quarter game to beat Texas by a touchdown. Texas won eight and five that year, right? I mean, they they lost to TCU by 10 that year. TCU wasn't good. They lost to Iowa State that year. They lost to Baylor that year, you know, and, and they gave LSU everything they could handle that season. You know, they they beat yeah. Auburn 23 to 20. It was a sloppy game, you know. I mean, the offense wasn't playing great, defense wasn't playing great. You know, I mean, so you're gonna have those type of games. The only time I've ever really seen it to where a team in the regular season, didn't have that kind of game. The closest thing I could ever find to it, Ryan, was the 2020 Alabama team. And a lot of that had to do with the, the COVID year. Where there were so many anomalies the COVID year. But even then, when they got to the AC, SEC title game, Florida gave them everything they could handle in that game. They were clearly the better team, but Florida just – I mean, Florida played great. You're always going to need weeks where, hey, you don't, you don't bring your A game, but you got to find ways to win. And this could be that game. It could be. Uh, but I'll say this, if Notre Dame dominates NC State the way that you are talking and a lot of others are talking about, yep. I'm going to come out of this game feeling really, really good because I, I I really like this NC State team. Right? Not, not that they're going to like a 10-11 win team. I think they're probably a, an 8-9 win team again, but it's going to be kind of that team where you know the, the three to five losses they get, you're going to have to you're going to have to work to get those lo- those wins against them. They're not going to go down without a fight, and that's something that I do like about this team, and they're going to be a lot more dangerous down the year. But if Notre Dame just whoops this team start to finish, that's going to be a really good sign for this team because they spent most of last year ranked in the top 25, Ryan, right? I mean, yeah. it wasn't until all the injuries set in that this team faltered down the stretch. They're going to be a dangerous team once their offense finally gets going. I agree. You can always count on their defense. Brian Murphy with the Super Chat says, what are your thoughts on Rico Flores Jr.? What is his ceiling for this season? Thank you so much, Brian. Appreciate the question, by the way. Well, I think a ceiling, Ryan, is kind of what we've seen. Uh, you know, here's a crazy stat for you. Do you know who you you know who leads the team in targets so far through two games? Is Jaden Thomas? Do you know who, who's sure. this? Is, obviously, I'm asking it because of who we're talking about. But do you know that Rico Flores is second on the on the team in targets 
He's been targeted six times during the past game. Now, I think three of those came in mop-up minutes, right? He had the one sure. late against Navy and all that. But but Rico caught one of the first passes of the game against NC, against Tennessee State. So he, he, the ceiling is exactly what he is. He's going to be a very important part of the Notre Dame rotation at wide receiver. He probably – I mean, he gives very good effort in the run game. He's got some technical yes. things to, to, to learn in the run game. You know, Ryan, sometimes he'll maybe over – Take a, not the greatest angle or maybe overplay a guy and let him get outside or all this. Stuff. But, man, the effort's there. I mean, he battles in the run game. So he, he's a very important part of the rotation. And and I'll say this. If, if for some reason there's an injury somewhere on the outside and you've got to play him more, okay. All right. Let's go. I mean, yeah. I, I like I really like what I've seen from Rico so far. I do. Yeah. Uh, Rico's rock solid, man. I think Rico's going to be a really, really good football player for Notre Dame long term. Gives me like – you know, he reminds me a little bit of was um, TJ Jones. Like he gives me those kind of vibes, you know, as far as like he can win down the field a bit. He can separate, but like, man, he's just a really crafty football player. And he's just really solid, right? Like mm-hmm. I think that's what kind of Rico gives me those vibes of, man. I think he's going to be a real good football player for Notre Dame this year. It's just you're battling for consistent reps against guys like the uncles and Tobias Merriweather and Chris Tyree and Jaden Greathouse. It's just the depth of the wide receiver room is greater than what we've seen in recent years at Notre Dame. So I think he's going to be a valuable member, but I really think that long-term he's going to be a very good player for Notre Dame. Yep. Agree. Let's go to um, here from our, our guy, Charlie. Charlie Weiss's last belt loop who said very, something very positive on the message board. I was about to bust on him, bust his chops a little bit. Like Char- Charlie, are you, uh, you kidnapped, but thank you so much. For the super chat, Charlie, obviously joking. I can't believe the delusion from NC State fans. I expect Notre Dame to put 40 plus on them, and Sam Hartman adds another skull to his mantle to the natty. Notre Dame has wide receivers, but NC State really thinks Notre Dame doesn't. LOL. Well, in, in, first of all, um, right now, Notre Dame fans shouldn't be throwing water about um, that because we've got people predicting like 52 to 6 and 49 to six win against NC state who has won at least eight games in five of the last six years. So I think right now, this time of the year, Ryan, all fan bases are that haven't don't have any L's on their docket are feeling pretty good about themselves. And I think that's understandable. And honestly, Ryan, I think people are misguided on the Notre Dame receiving core, but I can understand it. I, I don't, I don't think people that are saying, Hey, I don't know if the receivers at Notre Dame are all that good or, are like, you guys are insane. What are you guys – I mean, who was the guy that if you were an opponent and you didn't know Notre Dame and you didn't study Notre Dame and, you know, you watched as a casual fan, who in the receiving core would you be like, hey, I'm really worried about that guy? That guy really scares me, right? Yeah. You, you, you'd probably have a similar point of view. Now, I think that I'd say do a little bit more homework and, you know, you might you might realize these guys are pretty pretty good. I, I would say that, uh, you know, Navy fans probably don't lack respect for Jaden Thomas. I would say that uh, – uh, North Carolina fans probably don't have a lack of respect for Jaden Thomas because he made some plays against them last year. But we heard the same thing going into the North Carolina game last year. Remember, man, Notre Dame's receivers are no good. They're that, and they yeah. played pretty flipping well in that game, right? So, uh, first of all, good. Let them, let them, let them sleep on that group. Let them say, hey, we're going to go one on one with those guys all week because then that gives us a chance to find out who Notre Dame is. But like when you're going into games like this, guys, n- nobody. In, in college football right now that I that I've seen is just a complete team right now at this point in time of the season. Everybody's got some flaws. Right. And when you're going into a matchup like this, you've got to say, okay, where is this team the weakest where we can maybe take advantage? And right now, if you're looking at the Notre Dame offense, the two positions where you're going to say that group hasn't shown me yet that they should scare me is the Notre Dame receivers 
and the guards. I think that's a very fair thing for people to say. And on the other side of the ball, it's like, hey, if you can find some ways to get matchups against their safeties, we might be able to do something. Very fair. So um, I don't know what a lot of other NC State fans have said in regard to what they think they're going to do to win this game and if Notre Dame sucks and all that. But, but man, that's what we hear from fan bases all the time. I mean, yeah. I remember, oh, Notre Dame's going to get killed by Georgia. They don't have the athlete, blah, 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 you know. Notre Dame can't play with this team. You, you got people covering Ohio State predicting 35-point wins over Notre Dame last year. And they're going to do the same thing this year, right? They're going to, oh, Notre Dame's going to get blown out. And, you know, and they were just shocked that Notre Dame stayed in that game. And just, we see it all the time. So I'm not surprised by it. But in this particular case with the receivers, I think the receivers still have a lot of respect they've got to earn right now, Ryan. I, and hopefully this is the week they do it. Someone on board at boardsaverspreakdown.com posted a clip of it was um, locked on Wolfpack, which obviously covers NC State. And they mm-hmm. kind of said the same thing. They're like, you know, I just, I think, We'll be able to handle the wide receivers, and people took big offense that I'm just like guys. Like, I mean, their their best part of their defense is their two starting corners, and Notre right. Dame's wide receivers still have a lot to prove. So, like, right. I understand them having right. that mindset. So, hopefully, yeah. it's not the same coming out of the game. But right. I don't think that's a crazy take. Now, if you're like right. their receivers don't have any talent, there's no athleticism right. there. Like, okay, that's a lazy take. Yeah. But, but if you're like, yeah, they, they still have to yeah, do stuff. They don't yeah. scare me right now. They got a lot to prove. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Hopefully that's just not the case when we're going to play Ohio State in a couple weeks, when, we're, when they're going to play Ohio State in a couple weeks. Right. That it's it's no longer, gee, they're unproven. We don't know what they can do yet. Hopefully the next couple weeks we know the answer to that. Yeah. We had a question from Jay Patterson said, which is more likely for Notre Dame's defense, five sacks or two interceptions? Well, I would I would say, Jay Patterson, that the one leads to the other, right? The five sacks would help lead to two interceptions. I would say what's most likely would be two two interceptions. I because because I think with Brendan Armstrong's escapability, sometimes he may avoid a sack and throw an interception. Right. <laughs> you know, but uh, if they get five sacks in this game, this game won't be close. Even I if they don't force there. any interceptions, like they, it won't yeah. be close. It yeah, won't be I, close. I think it's interceptions for me as well because I think the one thing that Brendan Armstrong has also shown is that he has. He will turn the football over if he is pressured, if he mm-hmm. if he doesn't see the game clearly. So I think it's more likely five sacks in a game, five or more sacks. That's not easy, man. Like that's a lot of sacks, man. Like that's a lot. So five sacks tells me that one, you were able to get a lot of pressure, but also that means that NC State probably dropped back to throw the ball a lot, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot. But so give me the two interceptions. I think that's more a little bit more likely. Here's a here's a good one, Ryan. I like this one. This is also from Jay Patterson. Jay, with back-to-back, so Sam Hartman has had struggles in the past against NC State. What are your stat line predictions for Sam, and what factors will contribute to him having success? Well, uh, I, I'm not going to dive too much into the second one because I did a whole a whole segment on yesterday's show about that, Jay Patterson, so I would encourage you. Uh, so um, I ha- on the front page at IrishBreakdown.com, I have an article uh, about this, and I include the segment that I did on the show yesterday. So there's a, a, an article titled uh, Sam Hartman's performance against NC State will say a lot about Notre Dame. I'm actually going to uh, pull that up now and just link it into the, the chat. So what I would encourage you to do is read that article because I talk a lot about what he needs to do. But I also have the segment that I recorded yesterday about that. So I don't want to necessarily rehash that. But a lot of it's going to be it's not so much what, what you know he needs to do. Not that you're asking that, but it's going to be what does the supporting cast do? Does the offensive line play well? Do they do they run the football? Because to address the point Ryan talked about Notre Dame running the football and all that, it, 
NC State beat Wake Forest last year 30-21. to 21. NC State ran for 17 yards. Sam Hartman got sacked four times. The year before, they ran for 116 yards against NC State in a win, but Sam Hartman had 43 of those yards in a touchdown, rushing touchdown. And then the year before, they ran for 149 yards, but that was on 49 attempts in the game they lost, and he was sacked six times in that game. So it, it, the other people around him are going to have to step up. His struggles weren't necessarily because he played poorly, sure. but his supporting cast played poorly. So he's going to need more support in, in that regard. What is the stat line for Sam Hartman? I'm going to have a little bit of fun with this, Ryan. Obviously, uh, I have no clue what a stat line is going to be because I'm not Nostradamus or whatever else, but I'm going to go here. I'm going to go 21 of 33. It's about a 63.0% completion percentage, right? I'm going to go for 281 yards and three touchdowns. That's what I'm going with. Because I think he's going to hit some – I think early on there's going to be some, you know, move the chains, build the that, that up. But I think in, this, in, in the second quarter or in the second half at some point in time, Notre Dame's going to hit a couple big plays in the pass game. I, I, yeah. I believe that's going to – we're going to see that. It could, be, it could be a screen that goes for big play. It could be over the top. It, but I just think Notre Dame's going to hit a couple big pass plays in this game. Yeah. And so I, I'm going 21 of 33 for 281 yards and three touchdowns. And a yeah, pick. I, th- I, th- gonna throw I think they're going to hit. I think they're going to hit a couple big ones too in this game. I would go 19 of 29 for 278 yards, two touchdowns because I think that the run game will also be working for Notre Dame, so it'll be a little more balanced. Dig it. We had a question from Brandon Plensner who says, does Notre Dame's 2024 matchup with Stanford count as the fifth ACC opponent, therefore leaving room for Notre Dame to schedule any opponent from any conference to fill that home game vacancy? So we don't have the answer to that yet, Brandon, but uh, Bernard Meir did a uh, podcast – or not a podcast – Did a, uh, was asked about this recently. And what he said was is that the series is going to continue as a non-conference game as a non-ACC game. So it'll be an out-of-conference game, meaning uh, I don't believe it's going to continue to be part of – like they're not going to make that, okay, well, you're playing Stanford. You need to add to it because – now well, here's what I don't know. I, what I don't know, Ryan, is are they going to redo the ACC schedule for Notre Dame moving forward now that right. Cal and SMU are part of it? I don't know the answer to that. I, I have no idea. Uh but what the and, and here's the other part is Notre Dame does not have Stanford on the schedule beyond 2024. Next year is the last year where they're currently under contract to play. Does that continue? I don't know. Do yeah. they go out and you know re- renegotiate that contract? Do they make it part of the ACC schedule? Do they continue playing every year? We don't have answers to that because as far as I know, publicly they have not signed a contract extending it beyond the 2024 season. But I, if they do sign a contract, it'll be uh, it'll be outside of the ACC schedule, which would then make it a completely standalone game that's just sure. treated as a non-conference for them, or they're not part of the five four to five team deal that Notre Dame's going to have. That's all we know be, so far. Will be interesting. Brandon I would like Black- to just be part of the just for me, Ryan. I'm sorry, I, I did bring this yeah. up, so I apologize for cutting you off. But um, I would like to see Stanford no longer be an annual opponent and just be part of, you know, you play them three, four times in 10 years as part of the ACC deal. That's what I'd like to see happen, but I doubt that that's going to happen. Brandon had back-to-back questions. He said, do you think the game bring being at noon will be beneficial for the team or possibly have a negative effect? Every team is different. 
when it comes to this, Ryan. They really are. I mean, some teams are just they they just at noon you just don't have enough time to get fired up. They just kind of go through the motions. Some teams come out at noon, man, and they're sharp. It just depends. I mean, to me, I have a feeling this Notre Dame team is 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 going to be good in this type of setting because it is a very like, Notre Dame does not get enough credit for how experienced they are. Like yeah. we keep hearing about, you know, we don't know this, we don't know that, but you've got a sixth-year senior quarterback. You've got a, a very veteran offensive line now. Uh, even your new guys are juniors. You, you, your receiving core is more experienced this year than it was last year. Sure. Uh, you know, your your defensive line has played a lot of football, even though they don't have a ton of starts. Your linebacking core is incredibly experienced. Your secondary is incredibly experienced. Like this is a very veteran football team, and I have always found that veteran football teams are are usually good in any setting, but those noon games where it's you, when you get up, here's, here's what I'm, here's what I like about noon games and why I'm saying this, Ryan noon games are, cause you, you played a year of division. Did you play that year? Your freshman year? Yeah. At Fro- so you, you almost all D three games are like noon or one o'clock. I mean, yeah. so when you yep. get up in the morning, you're, you're, you're going, it's, it's, you go to breakfast, you, you know, we may do a team mass, you go to the training room, you're getting you're and it's just, you're, you're, it's your focus on the game. The minute you wake up in the morning, Whereas a night game, it's like, okay, you go to team breakfast, but then it's like, okay, now what am I doing for the next three hours? Right. Right. And you can kind of, I mean, but the minute you get up and get out of the shower in the morning, dude, it's okay. We're, it's prep time. And veteran teams, I feel, Ryan, tend to be really good in those type of environments. Yeah. But that's a, that's a tendency of based off history. That doesn't mean that this Notre Dame team is going to be that way. If I had to guess, I would assume that they're going to be better off in that type of environment. But then, of course, they went and played Navy at, in a different continent at 730 at night in that continent and played a phenomenal football game. So maybe they're a night team squad. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I just have a feeling that a veteran team like this is when if they can just get up and be football only from the minute they get up, that they're going to be a pretty locked in football team. It's going to be very interesting because I think there's a lot of layers to this game as well, Brian. I mean, it's your first true away game, right? I mean, not a neutral site game like over in Dublin. It's your first one in someone else's stadium. The hostile crowd. Right. And although I wouldn't necessarily say North Carolina State's the most hostile environment of all time, there's still going to be some heckling that happens, right? There's still going to be some guys (laughs) that are jawing and doing all that type of stuff. And with the early first early game of the season too, there's just a lot of firsts this season for this Notre Dame team. So I think it's almost impossible, Brandon, for me to know that, right? I mean, to Brian's point, like a lot of teams are very different. I tend to believe based upon what I've seen that Notre Dame's going to be ready for it, right? Cause I just feel like the preparation has been pretty good so far from the Notre Dame team. I, I feel good about that instance, but we will know it like 12, 10, as far as like how well they were ready to go. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's one of those wait and sees because there's a couple firsts. It's not just the first away game. It's not just you know first game in a hostile environment. It's not just the first noon game. It's all of those things together, which is going to kind of make it very fascinating to look at. Yeah, and you know, somebody pointed this out last year. I mean, that was one we heard the same thing last year. Um, you know, when when you look at some of the noon games, but I believe this wasn't the Syracuse. We we talked about this. Wasn't the Syracuse game a noon game last year? Was it I'm trying. Game? There was a couple. There was. I'm trying to remember when the first noon. It wasn't North Carolina. Some in the chat said it was North Carolina. I'm trying to remember what the first noon game was last year. But I remember coming out Notre Dame coming out in that noon game and looking really, really good. And I'm just trying. I can't remember who it was against. It was obviously one of the road games. Uh, but I thought it was Syracuse. Let me let me look it, it up. I, I could I could I be know. completely wrong on this, but I thought it was Syracuse. So I could. Yeah. It, maybe maybe it was a 
um, three thirty game as, as as well. But uh, yeah, you, the thing is, you just you just really yeah, it was a noon game. It was a noon game, and there was a you know Notre Dame was a one point favorite in that game. So and they came out and I mean and Notre Dame set the tone early in that game, Ryan. Like yeah, that game was not as close as the final score indicated, in my opinion, because Notre Dame had some missed opportunities and where they could have put that game away and made it even worse. That game was not as close as the final score showed, in my view. And they were coming off wasn't weren't they just coming off the loss to uh or no, they had just beaten UNLV the week before. That's right. There was a, I keep yeah. thinking was- Syracuse came after Nate after Stanford. That, that was an ugly game, though, too, with the UNLV game. It was yeah. a pretty ugly game for Notre Dame as well. Yes, so. absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's get to the next question from Justin Horp. Ryan, I'm going to read this one because I'm going to let you answer this one a little bit. Uh, Brian yeah. and Ryan, can you describe the type of players that Deuce Knight and Bear Bachmeyer are, and who do you all do y'all prefer? Very different players, style and physically. Deuce Knight is a six four and a half long explosive playmaker, right? Like he has a really explosive arm. He's also an explosive athlete. The kid can run for days. He's got a, I would say he's got a slightly longer release as a lefty, right? A little bit longer, but he's more of that kind of that vertically oriented player. He can really push the ball, like throwing deep in cuts, throwing the ball down the football field. He's got kind of that explosive arm. He's kind of that playmaker in that sense. Bear Bachmeyer is more of like six, one and a half, 220 pound dual threat kid, but he's a gamer dual threat, right? Like he's not going to run as fast as like Deuce Knight does, but he can extend, he can break some tackles. He can work kind of outside the pocket at times, but he's got a really smooth throwing motion on the run, man. He can really throw the football on the run. He's got a compact delivery. I think he's perfect for the modern RPO system. Like I think that Bear Bachmeyer is going to thrive in that type of environment, kind of working off of the run game. Really good quarterback. Who do I prefer? I would say for me, like I had the choice between two. I'm always a guy that trends towards upside, right? Like I'm always that guy. And Deuce Knight is that guy for me. He's the guy that I think if if you are a good quarterback developer and you put everything together, Deuce Knight is the higher upside compared to Bear, but that is no shot against Bear because I think Bear could be a tremendous football yeah, player. Yeah, they're both very good players. And Ryan, I agree. I They're both very good players. Who do I prefer? I prefer Deuce. I always prefer the ceiling. And I think Deuce has one of the two or three highest ceilings of any quarterback in the country. Now, he's yeah. a, a ways away from being there, sure. right? He, he needs a lot more work than some of those other quarterbacks as well, but his ceiling is enormous. I mean, you could even see it. He, to me, some people were down on his first couple games, and I'm like, but those games actually showed me the potential he has. Because when he, he did, was, me, I thought he was good against IMG, man. Yeah. I was really happy with that performance. But I'm like, yeah. just some of the throws he makes, you're like, dude, there just aren't a lot of people that can throw that ball off their back foot and and, and do that. No. You know, it, it was really impressive. And uh, you know, but either one's a win. But if you had to tell me which quarterback would I prefer, would I put all the chips in the table for? Uh, it's Deuce, especially yeah. a year after CJ, because if Deuce Deuce takes a little bit of time to develop. You're, you're okay. You've got Kenny Minchie and CJ Carr. You're fine. Exactly. Right. But yeah. if he hits, he's, he's special. He's got yeah. a chance to really be special. Ryan, I was, I was on the board real quick, just checking a couple things. And I went to the, uh, the article that the podcast link, cause I was going to put the, the link to the message board thing on there. And uh, we talking about predictions. There was a comment in there that I absolutely loved uh, from Michael a on the message board. 
And it was a response to, you know, Sam Hartman's going to, you know, needs to do. And he said, Hartman is going to carve these turkeys up just before the holiday season starts. I can feel it. I thought that was such a great quote. Is it already the holiday season, man? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's going to carve these turkeys up just before. I just thought that was great. That was a great comment, by the way. I hope he's right. Me too. He's right. Me too. Ray Hallcraft says, again, Sam Hartman, NC State dropped eight to cut off. Sorry, against Sam Hartman. NC State dropped eight to cut off passing lanes and make it more difficult. This is difficult against Notre Dame who can run the ball. What disguised looks does NC State show when dropping eight? I don't think that they're going to drop eight a whole lot against Notre Dame other than third and long situations. And, and I don't think they dropped – they didn't drop eight a ton last year, but they did do it. It would be more about they could just they could just drop guys from levels one and two last season, and they could disguise their corners and roll their corners more because they needed to get into those intermediate zones and try to force the ball down the field. And the reason they wanted to force the ball down the field is because they didn't think Sam Hartman was going to have enough time to stay, be in the pocket long enough to throw the ball down the field. And for the most part, they were correct. Uh, he didn't have the time to throw the ball down the field, and so they they for they the the pressure last year sped up his processes and caused him to not see some of those guys dropping. And that's some, that's why protecting the quarterback. I mean, Ryan, you saw the first pick. Like, he threw it, hit the guy right in the chest. He didn't see that guy. He's throwing a crossing route thinking, my guy's got that guy beat by five yards. I'm throwing this crossing route. He doesn't see it. I think it was a corner just standing right there because they had disguised the coverage. And, and that's why it's so important that they are able to run the football and protect him so he doesn't feel that need to speed up his process because of the pressure coming. Right. And that's going to be a big part of it. So really the big thing is it's not even just about – you know, a lot of those different th- – it's not about the disguises and those type of things as much as it's going to be about the protection that he has. Because if you're if you're disguising coverages, but I have time to throw, I'm going to pretty quickly figure out where you're going. Right. Because I'm going to be able to keep my eyes on that second level. But as soon as I ha- – even the best quarterbacks, Ryan, as soon as I have to move around, even if I'm doing a good job of keeping my, keep my eyes downfield, it's harder for me to have the same vision that I have when I'm just sitting back in the pocket. But no. they'll, they'll do a lot of different things, you know, bringing guys up, dropping second-level guys, you know, bringing a safety pressure, dropping a linebacker underneath that kind of that hook curl zone. If you're going to try to throw a slant to beat the safety pressure or a glance or a quick post, you know, they may have another safety rolling from the backside. They may have a linebacker kind of coming from uh, inside out on that type of route. It's going to be things like that. Corner plays off and squats, you know, that kind of thing. They do a decent amount of that, uh, you know, because because they like they play – would you say this is this is – they play a lot of they mix up their coverage as well between zone and man. But they play their man out of a out of zone looks. Does that make sense, Ryan? Like, yeah, like they, match match coverage. Yeah. yeah. They, they, it's hard to tell when they're playing man and when they're playing zone based on how they line up at the snap. And I think they do a pretty good job of that. But the good news is, I mean, Sam Hartman's seen this a lot. That's the other thing. Is I mean, he's faced every defense he's faced at NC State's been a Tony Gibson defense. Now right. it's kind of like he's gonna have a little bit more support, you know, and and um uh, that's going to be the key. Sam Hartman's a six-year player. He's seen every variation of coverage, every different look, pre and post snap that you're going to throw at him. The only way, well, the only the major way that a the major way that a coverage disguise is going to hurt Sam Hartman is if there's pressure that is right. also initiated right. there, right? Like to your point, is if Sam Hartman has clear vision and has a stable process, 
he'll be able to get through his reads still. But the the worst part, the and NC State does do this sometimes. This is where you get guys in trouble. You disguise something, and all of a sudden Tanner Engel comes off the slot and hits you in the face as a safety blitz, and you didn't see it, and it's disguised, and all of a sudden a linebacker is dropping into his vacated zone, and you didn't see it, right? So you don't. It's not just about mixing and matching coverages, confusing post snap. It's also about getting pressure. If NC State's not able to get pressure, then it doesn't matter what coverage you're trying to hide. In my opinion. Yep, agree. It's the speeding up of the processes. That's the key, and that's exactly what we said about the key for Brendan Armstrong. If you let him sit in the pocket and get comfortable, he's going to have success. I don't care who the receivers are. Same thing for Sam Hartman, and and Sam Hartman's better than Brendan Armstrong, and he's got better weapons, we think, than Brendan Armstrong. Yes. So if you give him time, he'll have success. And to Ryan's point, I don't care what you're disguising because a disguise coverage, if I'm if I have time, can actually hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. Because if I have pressure and I can see it and read it, I know, okay, to your point, Ryan, about the experience, I can bang this corner out because that safety is not going to be able to get over there in time to defend this route because I have time to throw. Yep. And and so, you know, it, it really makes it more challenging at times if the quarterback has time to throw the football. And that's going to be a, a key uh, it, to me in this game. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. If you're looking for last-minute tickets to this weekend's big matchup between Notre Dame and NC State, Game Time is the place for you. They take the stress out of buying tickets. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Forget planning months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball games, concerts, comedy shows, theaters, and more. The GameTime guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code IRISH for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code IRISH for $20 off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. That's gametime.co. Irish Gordy Knott, what's up, IGK? Can you compare and contrast the USC and North Carolina State offenses? They're both run first air raids with mobile quarterbacks that have big arms. Obviously, USC has better talent, but how else do they differ? I don't believe that they're both run first air raids. I, I I would not describe it that way. They both strive for 
balance, but you Lincoln Riley has a far better track record of running the football than Robert and I does. Robert and I sure. likes to run the football more than most air raids, but his numbers in the run game are more similar to what we see from other air raid teams than it is to what you Lincoln Riley did at Oklahoma, for example. So I, I would not call them run first. It, really what it comes down to Ryan is they're, they're both the biggest simulators is they're both going to be about spacing. And to yep. me, that's the biggest thing about the air raid. It's spacing. It's spreading teams out. It's getting guys in isolations. It's using your pre-snap and the alignments and then also using post-snap movements to try to create openings. A lot of time in air raids, you're actually doing all these things to get one guy open, right? I mean, that, that's, that's what a lot of this stuff does. And then you have some built-in check downs if that one guy doesn't get open. But it's, it's, they're not super complicated reads. Because the, all the stuff that they're doing, it's designed to create this post-snap switch that gets this guy open on the seam route or whatever the case may be. And, and so uh, I'd say Robert and I is, is more close to a traditional air raid than what Lincoln Riley is. But we're at the point now yeah. where the, with the air raid where we're talking principles, not air raid. It's like the West Coast. There yeah. came a point in time where it's like you're watching the West Coast offense, and I'm like, yeah, John Gruden's a West Coast coach. Mike Shanahan's a West Coast coach the older Mike Shanahan, but Mike Shanahan's offense and even the son is, does not look anything like in a lot of ways, John, what John Gruden's doing, even though they're both West coast guys. And that's where we're at. The air raid, Ryan is they're really not all similar with the exception of just the overarching philosophy, which is about space, getting guys in space and trying to create wins in those type of situations. And uh, those are going to be the keys. Those are going to be, I have to say something here. Yeah. This, Charlie, you're going to lose this battle if you're going to try to tell people that Bear Bachmeyer is a better prospect at the same stage of his development as Tyler Buckner. You're just going to lose that battle. Okay. Tyler Buckner had 81 touchdowns as a junior in college, right? Or junior high school. Sophomore. I understand, uh, junior, oh, junior. junior. Yeah. I understand that we're now projecting what we saw from Tyler Buckner at Notre Dame, but can we not act like we saw Tyler Buckner for like a whole season and he was bad? Can we just not ignore the fact that Tyler Buckner was pretty freaking good the last time we saw him playing in Notre Dame uniform? What I can't stand is when a guy comes to Notre Dame and maybe doesn't pan out, and then we do this like revisionist history thing of, well, he wasn't good here, so he wasn't a good prospect. If that's just let's not be let's be better than that as fans, right? Tyler Buckner was a phenomenal prospect. Everybody thought Tyler Buckner was was a very big time prospect. It wasn't that long ago, like going into last year, that everybody was like, Ben Jack Cohn, play, play Tyler Buckner, right? And so, yeah, it didn't work out great for him in his first two starts of his sophomore year. And now we're just ready to throw him up. Let's, let's not do that, man. Because if you're going to sit there and try and tell me that Tyler Buckner's not even close to the prospect, Bear Bachmeyer's is a quarterback, a kid who's been playing quarterback for like, what, a year? You're, you're, you're going to lose credibility when it comes to having this conversation. Okay, we can say Tyler Buckner didn't pan out at Notre Dame. That's very fair to say. But to act as if he was not an outstanding high school football player and a tremendous prospect is is really just it's it's um I'm trying to think of a nice way to say it cuz I I do love Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. It's just it makes us look like the fan bases that we criticize, right? It, it, it does. It's like, let's just say I was like this big idiot and I was on TV and I said something stupid like this, Ryan, hypothetically, of course, Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman wouldn't be in the top two at LSU 
and then act like I didn't even say it after the game and start talking about how, well, you know, that that was a good team. They had two first-round draft picks on their at wide receiver. Well, you just got done – you know what I mean? Like, let's not be that fan base where we do that. So if you weren't – if you weren't – criticizing Tyler Buckner at the time, then I don't want to hear it now. I really don't. And he's not here anymore. Okay. So, you know, I just, I, I get tired of that because Tyler Buckner was an outstanding high school prospect an outstanding high school prospect. And Tyler Buckner was a pretty good football player at Notre Dame in 2021. Right. And yeah, he didn't play well in his first two starts, but he played pretty dang well in his last start. That was one of the most. So if you actually look at the numbers, I should go grab the media guide now. That was one of the most. That was one of the best offensive performances Notre Dame has ever had in a bowl game. I think it was top five all time in points and yards in a bowl game. And Tyler Buckner had a big part of that, right? Yeah, it's some turnovers. Yeah, it's part of the learning process. But let's just not do this whole uh, revisionist. Oh, if you know he's a way Bear Bachmeyer is a way better prospect than Tyler Buckner. No, he isn't, because that's exactly the comparison that I like to use for Bear Bachmeyer is Tyler Buckner, and that's a compliment. Because Tyler Buckner's a talented kid. Just injuries, there's a lot of circumstances that hurt it. He made some poor decisions on his own. But let's not act like Tyler Buckner was this bum and everybody thought he was a bum and he wasn't a good quarterback and all this other kind of stuff. Just stop. Just stop. The kid The kid threw for over 4,000 yards, rushed for over 1,600 yards, and had over 81 touchdowns. I don't care who you're playing against in high school. That's phenomenal, right? And so let's just not be that fan base. Let's just not be that fan base, okay? It just, I just – just can't stand that. So anyway, Ryan, I had to, I had to go there, man. I had to go there. Sorry. Okay. I just, I just saw what was going on in the chat. And I was like, nah, man, we're not doing this. We're not doing this. Question from PA underscore Irish guy. From what you have seen from the offense fall so far, what do you think the opposing D will try to take away first? And what will that open up? I mean, they're going to try to stop the running game early on, in my opinion. Right. So will that, will that take away if they're able to stop the running game? Play action is not going to be quite as effective. RPO game is not going to be quite as effective. I mean, Notre Dame is going to have to kind of strive for balance, and I think that getting a run game going is really going to accentuate the pass game or vice versa. I think that those things play off of each other, obviously. So I think that they are definitely going to try to stop this run game and make Notre Dame one-dimensional as a passing attack early. Mm-hmm. Joe Papini with a super chat. Thank you, Joe. Says, hi, fellas. Hello. 45-10 Irish. I see Hartman getting into rhythm early and the run game finishing off the Wolfpack D late with two long touchdowns to Tobias. I'd love to see that. I'd love yeah. to see that. That would be the kind of breakout like going into future weeks that Tobias needs, honestly. And then and then Sam Hartman needs to kind of build that confidence in Tobias. Absolutely. I would love to see that. Connor Grant with a super chat as well. Thank you, Connor. If Notre Dame is to rise to the top as a program, should Notre Dame win by three plus scores, um, three plus scores, Georgia Alabama wouldn't be sweating this game. We need confidence. Where are Notre Dame? I mean, that's. I'm sorry. That's. I just can't. No, I just can't go there with you. Let's not. I'm trying to. I'm trying to be nice today. Well, it just it just happens Connor, every year to some teams. I mean, like Georgia struggled with Missouri last year. Alabama struggled with Texas A and M last year. Like sometimes yeah, thank you just you. don't play well thank against you. not good Guys, teams. I mean, Georgia had to come back to beat Missouri, who yeah. is not as good as NC State. If you want to play the transitive property game, NC State convincingly beat Wake Forest. Wake Forest beat Missouri. Missouri took Georgia down to the wire, right? Like 
I just just got done breaking down how LSU did in 2019 against an eight and five Texas team. What was what was NC State's record last year? Eight and five, right? Like, and here's the other thing: Georgia and Alabama, last I checked, have won a lot of titles recently. Notre Dame hasn't. Notre Dame has not proven to be that team yet. So showing reverence and respect for an opponent is it, it, shouldn't Notre Dame win this game by three scores? No, they shouldn't win this game by three scores. Can they? Yes. Should they? No. They just need to win. That's the key. You're not going to go out there, guys, and no team does this. Georgia doesn't do this. Alabama doesn't do this. Nobody does this. You don't go out there and dominate every team that you play every single week because you're Georgia or whatever. I mean, Ryan, and you mentioned the game earlier against uh, Missouri. Do we remember the Kentucky game last year with Georgia? What the score yeah. was of that game, the 16 to 6 game, or this that they won against Georgia, right? I mean, look, guys, Iowa beat Kentucky more convincingly last year than Georgia did. That's part of the game. The key is you go on the road against a good football team and you win. Now, can Notre Dame beat NC State convincingly? Yes, they can. But we we just need to be able to, to say, hey, Notre Dame's the better football team. Is there yeah. any disagreement there, Ryan? No, they're not. But going on the road and against a good Power Five team is not a game where I'm expecting them to win by you know twenty one plus. And if they don't, I'm disappointed because that's how you get into a game where you win thirty five to twenty, and you get into the post game show and people are complaining the whole time because they didn't win by forty. Well, the problem was never Notre Dame. The problem was you had unrealistic expectations that didn't show enough reverence for the fan base, which is what Notre Dame fans are always complaining that other teams do to Notre Dame. Oh, they don't respect us. They don't, they, you know, they think they're just going to kick our butts and then, and then they're surprised. Well, how about we not be that and say, Hey, this is a game where Notre Dame has a chance to go out there and look really good. And if they can win this game by to Connor's point, if they can win by three plus scores, that is a heck of a win, a heck of a win, not a, well, I should have done that. No, that's a heck of a win. And if they do that, I'll be fired up because this is a good football team. But if they win by 10 or 7 or 14, that's still a really good win, especially this early in the season, Ryan. So I think we need to show a little bit more respect for who NC State is because you can still respect your opponent and say, yeah, we're going to go. But, hey, I respect you. You guys do a great job, but we're still going to go out there and and, and give you these, right? We're going we're gonna to hand something to you. We're going to give you yeah. something, right? And And it's when you start disrespecting your opponent is when you go into games thinking you're just going to roll over them and then you get you get punched in the mouth, and you're not sure. ready to respond. So I would hope that Notre Dame has a little bit more respect for who NC State is, the team, than what we have shown this week, in my view. So that's my rant on that one. But I still do appreciate the Super Chat. Yes. All right. Here we go. Here, here's an interesting one, Ryan. Archer says Caleb Williams dad said he may come back to USC next uh, we're doing this one next year to avoid going to the Cardinals. Do you think we might see some more big names stay a fourth year with NIL bad draft landing possibilities? I, I, let me give my stance on this, Ryan, because yeah. to me, this is smart for him to be talking about. I mean, I, I, I wish he wasn't talking about it now. I think the timing of it's a problem. Like, bro, we're two games into the season. Can you can you hold off a little bit on this? Can we wait till we get like into the, you know, between bowl games? We have these conversations. You know, we're not even we're any close to that. But I, I've got no problem with him doing that because we've seen this before. I mean, I can't tell you all that I'm a huge John Elway fan, and then 
come down on Caleb Williams for doing this because you are Caleb Williams. You, you have earned the right to be in a position to say, hey, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be part of that losing franchise because you could say, well, because people, here's what counter will be. Well, look, you need to take the money now. What if you get hurt and all that kind of stuff? And I understand all that, but this kid's already made millions of dollars. And if he comes back for a senior year, he's going to make millions of more dollars. Do I think he's coming back for senior? No, Ryan, I don't think there's any chance he's going to come back for senior year. But you, why give up that leverage right now when you're trying to position to say, hey, depending on who that number one pick is, you know, I, I may not may not come back. I think it's a silly thing to be talking about from a timing standpoint, simply from a timing standpoint. If he made this same comment in November, December, when we have an idea that that team A that sucks at developing quarterbacks and has a head coach that quarterbacks don't want to play for looks like they're going to have the number one pick, which is exactly what John Elway's problem was. I don't want to play for Frank Cush. You know what I mean? Like then, then, then I would have a little bit more understanding of, okay, I get why you're doing it. So my issue with what Caleb Williams' dad is doing, Ryan, is not so much him using that that leverage and that NIL presents because if there's no NIL, you're like, dude, you're not coming back for a senior year. Just shut up. But now with a kid like Caleb Williams, he's going to make millions of dollars. He does have that leverage. So I would say use it. I just think you fired that bullet a little bit too early. That that's my whole thing because you you have no clue who the number one pick is going to be right now. So uh, that would be my thing is I, I think it was ill-advised from a timing standpoint, but overall I have no issue with this strategy because you you have that leverage. So why not use it? We saw Eli Manning, you know, Archie Manning do it. We saw J- Jack Elway do it with his son, uh, who who guys that were considered like kind of locks to be the number one overall pick. So you have the leverage, try and use it. It's just now is probably not the time to do that. Because like who's trading up for the number one pick right now? Who are you trying to convince to trade up to take your kid that you like? You have no clue who's going to have the number one pick. No clue. Yeah. So I'd say the timing of it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, even though the strategy is completely fair, in my opinion. Makes sense. We hear this stuff every single year to start out with. The well, oh, like, oh I, I'm not sure if I'm going to declare or not. I'm not sure. And yeah, the NIL conversation, that makes it a little bit more legitimate. So I understand why people are talking about mm-hmm. it. I understand and I'm sure there's going to be some players that decide to make that decision. Yep. But I still don't think for the most part it's going to be the guys that are considered to be the number one overall right. picks in those right. drafts, ultimately. I'll put it like this. I never talk in absolutes in the NFL draft space because things are very volatile and things change all the time. I would be shocked if Caleb Williams came back for a senior year. I would be absolutely shocked. Absolutely Not surprised. I would be shocked. If he wants the leverage battle, he can leverage the Cardinals into making a deal either before the draft or after the draft to put him where he kind of wants to be, right? He can make that happen if he really wanted to. It's very easy. You already have a disgruntled quarterback that you don't really like in the Cardinals, right? You don't want two issues in the right. same building. This is a this is a non-conversation for me at this point. I would just be, frankly, I would be shocked if Caleb Williams was playing college football in 2024. Agree. I do think, however, that we're going to see more guys like him use this as a talking point. I just think future guys that are going to use this as a talking point will be a little smarter about the timing of when they use it. Because there comes a point in time, Ryan, where you don't have that timing anymore because you have to declare, right? So you 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 can't do that. You can't – because it's also kind of like, hey, I'm going to use this to see if I can get this team that we don't want to draft my kid to budge on this, right? Right. And, you know, so like so like John Elway's situation was unique because even after he declared, he still had a big leverage, a bit of leverage. And it was, I'm just going to go play for the Yankees. 
Caleb Williams doesn't yeah. have that. So once he declares, his leverage is gone to, to as far as using that threat. He's got other things he can do, to your point, but mm-hmm. that particular threat is kind of gone. But the reality of a guy like him in the NIL universe is that he can say, you realize I could make more money next year? Because this is what he's going to put himself off a year from his rookie contract. That's true. But you know what else hurts a, or a second contract? Going to a franchise that's going to waste your time and your talent, right? Sure. And, and development. But the other part is, is like, you know, I'm going to make more next year as a senior at USC than I'm going to make as on a rookie contract, right? You get that, right? Like, that's the leverage thing that you can also say, whether that's true or not, right? It's just, but, but use it before you declare because you have the leverage, but you just don't use it on September 6th. That's my, that's my problem, right? Because you have no clue who the number one pick is going to be. I've been told that Caleb Williams dad, I believe is a lawyer. So like, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, it's just going to be, it's going to be leveraged throughout this entire process. And that, so we're going to hear and, about this and I'm constantly. Okay. I'm truly okay. It's like one of those things. I, I, I want to repeat this. I am perfectly fine with him using this as a, as a, as in leverage in these negotiations, perfectly fine with it. Yeah. But as a lawyer, you have to, you know, it's the same thing there, there, you have this evidence or you have this argument or you have the, there, there's a time and a place to use it. Now, obviously there's legalities to, you know, I'm not talking about disclosure and all that. I'm just saying like, there's gotta be some strategy to when you're going to use this. When NFL teams have played a combined zero football games in the regular season is not the time to be talking about that. In my opinion, unless he's just kind of floating that out there now, then let it go away and then bring it back in December. Okay. Well, you know, we'll see that might, that might make sense. But right now, it's just like, guy, no one's listening to that right now in the NFL because nobody has a clue who's going to be number one. The only thing I could think of is he's saying, like, hey, Cardinals, before you think about tanking, just keep in mind that my kid oh, ain't for you. They're already tanking. I, they're starting quarterbacks, so, Josh Dobbs. So, so. <laughs> so that could be the thing, Ryan, that maybe that's why he's saying it now. Maybe. Yeah. Because he's letting you know, like, hey, you can tank all you want, but you can t- you're going to be tanking for Drake May, not yeah. my son. So yeah, that 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 uh, that program right now is a dumpster fire at the Cardinals. Yeah. It is not a great situation. Yeah. They got uh, Jonathan Gannon as their head coach, who's yeah. one of the weirdest people I've ever seen in my entire life. So it's going to be fun watching Arizona in the next couple of years. Yep. I did like the fact that he said uh, that he took ownership of the Super Bowl. Like we lost because of me. I was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, we all knew that, but like, you know. Did you hear him try to, did you hear him try to pump up the fans though? It was pretty, it, I mean, his uh, players in, in the uh, meeting room, it was Cringy. There are <laughs> way too many young guys getting NFL jobs because they're really smart that just aren't head coaches right now. Like yeah. it's just, yeah, it's just not not a great I situation. Think he's, I don't even think he's that smart to be honest. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Perception wise, but yeah. yeah, the Cardinals are. uh Yeah, I kind of got the feeling like that they hired him to be the sacrificial lamb to go be bad, and then it, it was. You know, it was great because he's he's the defensive coordinator for a pretty a good defense that just went to the Super Bowl. And every Eagles fan ever after he, they made the announcement, they're like, "Yes, yeah, thank God." Yep. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. We had a question from Jay Henry. What's up, Jay? Do you think Al Golden holds back on the blitzing in this game or decides to heat up Armstrong? I think that's just who Al Golden is right now. Honestly, I just. I mean, if you felt the need to heat up Tennessee State, then you're going to need to heat up Brennan Armstrong. I just – especially early downs, Ryan, because a lot of crashing to shut down the run game is what I think we'll see. But uh, I I hope he's strategic. With, I, I want to – look, I, Ryan, I like aggressive defensive coordinators. I do. I just think sometimes sure. you're aggressive just 
for the sake of it. There's like, you know what I mean? Like, like, do we really need to do that at that situation or against this opponent? Uh, I would imagine he's going to try to heat up Armstrong, but I, I think we're also going to see a lot of run stunts early too, Ryan, because I, I really do believe they're going to try to completely dominate the line of scrimmage. And, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. As long as it's sound, I can live with it against this opponent. I can live with it because I don't think you have the receivers that can really do the damage to you that Ohio states can, if you try to get too aggressive against them or, you sure. know, what USC's can or, or other teams can. And, and, and Brendan Armstrong's a good runner, but I don't, he's not Caleb Williams either. He's, right. you know, he's, he's not that guy either. Right. Man. I, I made a mistake of reading someone talking in the chat and it's just a, yeah. I keep telling you, man, this is why you, that's why you turned it off. So, someone said who wants, who would want Caleb Williams? It's like, um, if Notre Dame no. needs a quarterback next year, I'll take Caleb Williams. Like, <laughs> whatever. Uh, Archer four, five, two coach prime has shown the ability to land big commitments at skill position, Travis Hunter, Cormani McLean, Dylan Edwards, et cetera. If he can land Bryce Underwood, will that be catalyst to improve line recruiting? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's no question about it. Big time. Get some big offensive linemen in Texas, some kids out in California. Absolutely. I mean, look, Deion Sanders is going to attract players to a certain degree, but if you can put him with a big name quarterback and, and yeah, that, that would be huge. That would be huge. Yep, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'd I mean, like to see that, Ryan, personally. I'd like to see that. I, I've said this before. I'm rooting for Dion to win at Colorado because I want more teams to rise up to start taking players away from – look, if Deion Sanders is everything that he says he's going to be at Colorado, he's going to take more guys from Bama, Georgia, and LSU than he is from Notre Dame. Just Yeah. I, I, th- I think one of his first commits that he got in 2024 was the Omar White kid that's the Florida defensive tackle, right? I mean, yeah, so he's going to dip into those pipelines as well. Yep. Seek and seek and destroy. How do you measure a quarterback prospect's ability to process information quickly in this um, and his will and spirits? A prospect's physical ability is only part of the equation. Thank you. Well, number one, it's a good question. You watch the film and you see how consistently he's able to 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 get throws out. Right. So part of it is just the basics of the timing of the throw. So uh, an example, Ryan, is the the pass that Sam Hartman threw to Chris Tyree last week. If Chris, Sam Hartman doesn't read that as quickly as he does, he may hit Chris, Chris Tyree, but Chris Tyree is going out of bounds the moment he catches the football because he waited on it or maybe gives time the defense to rally. He got there. It's same thing on that corner route to Mitchell Evans. I mean, as soon as Mitchell put his foot in the ground, Sam Hartman knew where the ball was going to, and he got it out there quickly. So that's a big part of it. You just watch it, and you can see the ball the, that the ball gets out quickly. And then you also can can usually tell on game film when a quarterback is going off of his first read. You can just tell what the way his feet work, the way he's the way he's moving his head. You know, if a quarterback just goes through his drop and he's staring at one guy and he drops back, hits his his hits his stop. Uh, top drop gathers throws the ball and he never takes his eyes off that one read he threw off his first read right but sometimes you'll see a guy you know Ryan, I'm trying to think um uh what what play it was there was a play against navy where sam hartman I mean, it was very clear he was going to his secondary or third read on the particular play because his eyes are here he's going through it he he comes here and then bam he comes back and he makes that throw so you, you see those kind of things, and it really just comes down to how quickly the ball is getting out. And so when I talk about a guy that's not a good processor, like Will Levis, for example, I, I said he was really bad at processing is because he was just constantly late throwing the football. 
And you could just tell when he was going through his reads, he was just not a guy that was overly confident going off of his first read. He, he just wasn't. And he would force a lot of bad balls. And he would make throws. This is another way you know a guy's making not, not really good at processing. He makes throws where you're like, did you not see that guy standing there? Like he'll make, Every quarterback makes those throws. Tom Brady made a throw like that in the AFC Championship game in 2015 against the Broncos, and Von Miller picked him off. Everybody's going to make those throws. Sam Hartman made one against NC State last year. But when you see it all the time, it tells me this guy's not good at processing information. Like Ian Book to me was a, was also not great at processing reads, which is why he he was so uncomfortable throwing the ball down the field. Because a guy that's not really good at processing reads is not going to be real comfortable throwing the ball down the field unless the the down the field throw is his first is his first read, right? And so those are things that I see that are part of it. As far as will and spirit, it's just how a guy plays the game. I mean. When you watch Max Dugan last year, I, I don't have to be able to put my finger and explain it, but you just see it and you're like, that kid plays with a lot of heart. Yeah. It just – I mean, your, your offensive linemen in the Big 12 championship game are like picking him off, off the ground and like helping him back to the huddle. And what does he do the next play? He runs the ball in for a touchdown. You know, it's like – I mean, it, it, and it's also the other thing you can know is when a guy's got that kind of will and spirit, you're going to see how his teammates react to him in certain ways. Yeah. That you're yeah. like, okay, they see this guy and everything he's given to this team, and they're like, he's raised their bar, and 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 um, that tells you a lot. Like I, I still remember the of, of all the success Byron Leftwich had in college. The one thing I'll remember is that dude dropping back, throwing a ball, and then his lineman come back and they carry him to the next play, and then he lines up and throws it again. Right? It's like yeah. Kurt Schilling, man. Kurt Schilling was a phenomenal pitcher. Won what like three World Series. But the what are we always going to remember about Kurt Schilling? Bloody that game suck. against the Yankees with the blood. Does anyone remember what Kurt Schilling did in the World Series against the Cardinals? No, no. They remember what he did in was a game six of the you know ALCS when he's you know had just reset surgery. He's got the scar. He's got bleeding. He's got all that. But he went out there and he was a warrior, right? Your 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 teammates see that and they respond to you certain ways when you're that kind of guy. So it's not even just about how you evaluate the quarterback. It's how you evaluate how his teammates respond and react to him. Brady yeah. Quinn had that, right? You could just see it, but you could also see how Deshaun Kaiser's teammates reacted to him and you didn't see it. You saw how, how Notre Dame's teammates, how, how Tony Rice's teammates reacted to him. You saw how Jerry Jackson's teammates reacted to him. You even to a degree saw how Ian Book's teammates reacted to him. Now, Ian wasn't great at processing, but that was a hard worker that gave you everything he got, and his teammates loved him for it, right? But then you look at guys like Jimmy Clausen, and you look at guys like Deshaun Kaiser, and they didn't have that same type of reaction from teammates, and it tells you a lot about yeah. how they were viewed, and it that's comes down I, to this. That's why NFL scouts spend months going to school to school and not just talk to the players, but they talk to – their teammates, they talk to their coaches, they talk to the cafeteria people, they mm -hmm. talk to the strength and conditioning coaches, they talk to everyone. They want to mm -hmm. know what makes a player tick, right? And that's kind of the that's the behavior aspect behind scouting that we don't talk about enough because it's not readily available to us at all right. times, right? From the media perspective, right? It, it was done and and look, I think Draft Day was was a, I like that movie. It was cheesy, but it's in, it's an entertaining. But they tried to portray that in that movie, Ryan, and they did it in a little bit of a kind of a weird, cheesy way, and they tried to incorporate it all in like a matter of like three hours. Yeah. But everything about that game was about trying to find out if this kid has the heart 
to build your team. You know what I mean? Like what kind of leader yeah. is he? Does he have that heart? Does he have, you know, and it was never about it was like, this guy's a great prospect. He has this number, that stat, he does this, that, and the other thing, but it was always about, you know, how does he handle when he gets pressured? Does yeah. this do his teammates like him? It was done in a little bit of a cheesy way, but it really was one of the most true things of that movie is you're trying to, you're investing a number one pick in this quarterback. You're trying to find out a whole lot more than just what kind of arm does he have? You know, what kind of 40 time does he have? You're like, is this a guy that, that I can build my franchise around? I know the talent, but what about the other stuff? Is yeah. that something I can build around? And that's, that's true of quarterback as much as more than it is, in my opinion, any other position on the team. They, they um, they, the worst part of that movie, because I watch it annually before the draft, the worst part of that movie is that the number one overall pick was a quarter was supposed to be a quarterback from Wisconsin. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sure. Yeah. Sure. It was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the, the game action that was not because like some of the clips in that they actually used real game clips. Yeah. But the ones like when uh, what was his name? The uh, Alvin Max uh, uh, um, no, in the program. Um Oh, it's something Mac though, right? Isn't yeah, Vontae uh, Vontae Mac, Vontae Mac. Yes, no matter what. And uh, the scene where he picks up the ball and runs it in, I'm like, oh my god, he's going so slow. Like this is so lame. <laughs> like it's really bad, really bad. Yeah, Vontae, no matter what. But uh, but no, that's the stuff that you're trying to find out, right? Is what what does this guy have on the inside? I know what he can yeah. do with throwing football. That's fine. I mean, I, Kyle Bowler had one of the biggest arms I've ever seen in my life. It's a terrible quarterback, right? I mean, it doesn't. Will Levis has an incredibly powerful arm. He's not a very good quarterback, in my opinion. You know, um, and the fact he got beat out by Malik Willis is a evidence of of that, in my opinion. Let's move on to this last one, Ryan, and then we're going to get out of here. Okay. Brandon Plesner says, Ryan, do you think Riley Leonard will enter the NFL draft following the season, or do you think he could return? I'm looking for a possible one year rental at quarterback. <laughs> why, why would he leave Duke? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a different situation. He's not in a system that he needs to needs to leave in order to be recognized. But yes, that I, I, if Riley Leonard wants to look at Notre Dame next year, Ryan, I would I would take sure. that call. I would I would take that call. I would take that call as well. <laughs> um, as far as the NFL draft, I it's so early, Brandon. Like, it really depends on what the depth of the class looks like. like I, I think it's a, I think that it's very highly likely that Caleb Williams and Drake may are obviously in the draft after that. Who's the next quarterback. It's the conversation of can Bo Nix take another step forward. Can Shador, is Shador Sanders real? Is JJ McCarthy real? It, you know, one of those is Riley Leonard, that guy that's going to continue to take that momentum forward the secondary options in the quarterback class after the top two are a little bit questionable right now, as far as like, who's going to be the next order, you know, could it be Michael Penix? Could it be Shador Sanders? Could it be Riley Leonard? Could it be Bo Nix? Like it, it's just a little bit open-ended right now. So I really, I really think it depends on what this third number three quarterback through number 10 quarterback, like what that eventually looks like, what the landscape truly looks like. Cause if Riley's in the top five, I think probably he ends up coming out because he's still probably going to be a, first round draft pick. Right. And I think that he's shown massive improvements. So I really think it depends on what the hierarchy looks like. Cause he is a third year player. I believe he's going to be graduated at the end of December as well, which is obviously a big thing because I believe he early enrolled. So I think he'd graduate in three and a half years. So with that understanding of like, he'll probably have his degree at hand. And if he's 
considered one of the top three to four quarterbacks in the 2024 NFL draft. I think it's probably likely, but you know, anything's possible at this point. Like I, I actually absolutely have no idea. And, and uh, with a lot of these guys, it's one game, right? I've seen a ton of overreactions from fans after one game this past weekend. I also want to point out too, Ryan, um, when, uh, when you look at Riley Leonard, I just want to remind people that the first person you heard talk about Riley Leonard was that guy right there. Right. I still remember getting those text messages from you after the, during the temple game, during the temple game. I'm like, first of all, why are you watching Duke and temple? That was my first thought. (laughs) But, uh, Oh man, Archer's about to get blocked in the chat too. Talking about Joe Milton. Stop that. Oh no. Stop the Joe Milton stuff. Dude, look, man, if Will Levis (laughs) can be a second round pick, Joe Milton can be a second round pick. All right. That's all I'm going to say. So (laughs) we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to bring that up one for you there, Ryan. There you go. Gross, man. I actually watched a little bit of his game, and despite him having the strongest arm we've ever seen, he throws nothing but screens. It's fantastic. It's I awesome. was watching part of that game, and at one point they're like, yeah, he'd only it, – it's like deep into the game, he'd only completed like one pass beyond 10 yards in that game. My, like, my, my favorite thing about Joe Milton ever is that he has one of the best deep arms ever, except during the game <laughs> when it matters. <laughs> he literally got benched because he kept missing deep balls early in the 2022 season or 2021 season. Like that's the reason he got benched. Yeah. I love this but, comment from Zai Bufor. Don't block our Archie. <laughs> oh, is, that, gonna, is that Archie Manning? That we're Archie not going to block Archer. We're not going to block him. Yeah. We love Archer. We're just giving him a hard time. So yeah. no, that's our dude. All right, Ryan, that's going to do it for today, man. Why don't you take us out of here? Yeah, we appreciate everyone for joining us today. Again, if you missed the keys to victory or game predictions in the first section of this podcast, make sure to go back and listen before you leave this mailbag section, hit that like button, subscribe to the podcast, hit that notification bell. Ivy nation sports talk tonight. And then tomorrow myself and Brian Driscoll will be back at one o'clock Eastern time for the weekly Friday free for all mailbag to get you all set for the noon game on Saturday, Notre Dame heading down to Raleigh, North Carolina, to take on the NC state Wolfpack. So go sign up at boards at irishbreakdown.com. We'll talk to you again very, very soon here on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.